Isn't this the announcement, God? What's he doing so late in the game? My name is Conrad. I am the Littleton Campus Pastor, and I have the absolute honor of sharing God's word with his people tonight. Oh, man. 30 seconds in. Okay. I'm so thankful for this opportunity. I'm so thankful for the leadership of this church. I'm so thankful for what this church has meant to me and to my family, the place that I passed from death to life. I met my wife. I was baptized. This church means everything to me. And I'm so thankful to be a part of it. Long before it was my place of work, it was my place of worship. I'll be celebrating 10 years, a decade with you as my family. What a gift it is, but that would not be possible without the sacrifice of the people that have gone before, our team of directors, Scott Brugman for moving his life out here, Eric and BZ, and our lead pastor, Sean Johnson. What a man of God. They have not for a moment sacrificed the opportunity to share Jesus with people, though. Leadership lives these lives under the microscope, and they have chosen, rather than allow that to crush them, to use it to magnify Jesus instead. And so that is why we are here. That is why we celebrate. Can we thank our leadership? This is surreal for me, just being over here in worship. I'm like, is it too late to bail? I could get get out of here. No one will see me. Um, I'm a local kid, lived, grew up down the street, worked across the street. I have no business being up here. I'm a financial analyst dropout, real rags to riches story, I know. Um, but I'm honored, I'm humbled to call this family and, and to get the opportunity to do this. We have an incredible team. Um, and, and I'm going to dive right in because this church has meant so much to me that, um, Before I really knew who I was, before God had really redeemed anything in my heart and in my life, before he had changed anything, I showed up to this place. Not only did I encounter a Jesus, a God that was accessible, but one that was desirable, and I can celebrate that all day long. And so I have a simple message for us this weekend, Um, but I should probably say what's up to all of our friends watching online. I've always dreamed of that. I never like, everyone watching online. Welcome, we're glad that you think that this place is family. God behind bars, I missed out for too long. I had the opportunity to go to, a, to an interest night. We, we did a, an event at a different correctional facility in hopes that they would partner with us and my heart was changed last week. I was wrecked, I was ruined all over again for the gospel and for what God is doing behind bars. And so we're proud of you. We're thankful that you're part of this family, that you would choose us. Um, I'm going to dive right in to, to uh, John chapter 4, if you have a Bible. It's on page 888. Go ahead and flip there. If you don't have a Bible, Jason Hedger has offered to purchase you a Bible, out of pocket, leather, golden pages, handwritten. 
John chapter 4, and my main objective, my only goal, my only desire is to stir something up. It's a simple message, but, but my buddies once said, he said, why do we need to go deeper when we're drowning in the shallow end? And so um, I want to read this to us in hopes that we could look at a familiar story, an oldie but a goodie, 2,000-ish years old, and uh, that we will be reminded about where Jesus found us, where he encountered us, how he redeemed us and saved us because our goal is not to be a congregation of people that sits in these chairs week in and week out. It's to be creators of culture that extend our lives beyond this place and have a real lasting impact in our society, in our communities, and that other people are changed because of what happens here on the weekend. John chapter four, a little bit of context. Jesus is, is um, just beginning his ministry pretty early on in his ministry. And so he's healing people. He's doing what Jesus does. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, are frustrated. They hear that people are abandoning this old way of religious living. And they're following something called life-giving religion of Jesus. And they're getting baptized to become followers of him. And so Jesus has to flee from Judea, which is down south in Israel, back home to Galilee. And it says he had to pass through Samaria, which is enemy territory. Somewhere that someone like Jesus had no business going and he, and he finds himself next to a well. And in verse 7, John chapter 4, verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Skip to verse 13. He said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus. We can celebrate eternal life. We can celebrate the gift. Nudge your neighbor and say, have you forgotten the gift? Then why aren't you clapping? I wonder today if we have forgotten the gift. If we have neglected the greatest news ever given to earth from heaven that we have been commissioned to share, I want to talk to us under the title today of the gift that keeps on giving. Let me pray. Jesus, I'm humbled. I have no business being up here and getting to communicate your word, but that is your grace. It extends well beyond our bounds and beliefs of this religious system. God, you choose to use people. You're gonna choose to use some people in this room. They're gonna leave here. They're gonna be empowered to live out the God call on their life, and I'm so blessed to be a part of it. Would you change hearts, God? Would you remind us of the gift and compel us to action because that is the only thing that we have to offer a world that is dying. I love you, and this is a sincere privilege. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. So uh, right up top, I have a quick confession to make. Anybody like Netflix fans? 
Yeah, the rest of y'all are lying. So I blame Netflix for slipping into a little bit of what some people call a quarter-life crisis. I I tend to think of it as a quarter-life, consider some other opportunities and avenues and hobbies. But some people just don't view it that way. It's all started with a particular show that I will not name for fear of emails. Uh, But it involves involves a motorcycle club. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Out of Redwood, California. I'm not promoting the show. Parental controls on your system, for real. Uh, but, but I, so, so it all began there. Quickly followed the beard and the hair and the missing ingredient. No, I do not pirate guns. It was a motorcycle. It was in my future. It was in my future. It was imminent. It had to happen. It came out of nowhere. I was all lined up to buy this motorcycle, steel cycle, shout out from Rick Steele, one of our loyal team members. I'll see him maybe tomorrow. Um, but so I go, and, and I don't know. I mean, he'll, he'll sell you whatever. But I went in there, and so it was time. It was go time. The problem was is uh, I had to call my buddy Sam over at the Lakewood campus. He works on staff there. And I said, Sam, you got to come to Steel Cycle with me. I bought a motorcycle, and uh, I got nowhere to store it, Sam. And uh, I have never ridden a motorcycle, Sam, and so I got to get it from here to there, and, and I need you, brother. And like a good friend, he was there. He said, this is a great, a great idea. And so we get it home, and it was sitting in the garage because it's the middle of winter. Who buys a motorcycle in the middle of winter? Someone that knows nothing about motorcycles. Apparently, so I had to get my classes lined up and all that, and I'd call Sam and be like, hey, is she all tucked in for bed in the garage? He'd say, yeah, yeah, she's good. I'd say, all right, tell her, tell her I love her, and I'll be there, I'll be there soon for a visit. I'd go over, sit in his garage, click through the gears. When it was time, it was a nice day, a nice Colorado, 60-degree February day. I decided that it was time to at least, at least turn it on and feel it. And uh, what we have here, you'll be able to see, is the entirety of my first motorcycle lesson. We got a clip for it, because I wouldn't want, my friends wouldn't want me to miss. So this whole thing, I'm a Harley guy, as you can tell. And start to finish, you saw my whole lesson was only 10 seconds before that. Look at this. This is not, oh, oh, I got it. Uh-oh. Everything, everything that I was supposed, he didn't tell me what not to do, he told me what to do, and instead of that, I did everything he forgot to mention not to do, and um, I feel a little bit closer with you all. Do not rebuke me. I have a loving wife, a loving mother. They have said their piece, okay? Just so you know, I am in process. Some of you might be thinking, like, he might have been, like, stunting that mode. That could have been intentional, I understand that with the grace of the dismount, the the athleticism of the recovery, darn near flawless. The only thing that was damaged was, in fact, my ego, and tenfold now realizing what I just exposed myself to. Anyway, I go to class, because clearly I needed some professional help, and I show up, and the, the question 
that every person that pastors, every person in ministry avoids like the plague. I show up, there's three other guys in the class plus the teacher. What do you do for a living? You dodge this, left, not because I'm ashamed of Jesus, not because I'm scared of what the gospel could do. Because it is polarizing, they will shut you out before they let you in. So they're going, there's only three guys, and somehow I kept dodging it. I was like, let's hit number one again. You said, analyze. what exactly are you analyzing? <laughs> oh, you're in distribute. What do you distribute? Like, is this trucks, big, small? <laughs> like, it got to my turn. I couldn't bounce the question. They said, what do you do? Yeah. Ah, I'm in networking. I, I, I match people up. <laughs> with the creator of the universe. <laughs> what are you? I'm a headhunter. Yeah, just, just looking for disciples, you know? Just, they got a purpose and we got to get them on board. <laughs> I say, I'm a, I'm a pastor. The guy goes, oh, you're a what? What? What'd you say? I, I didn't say you said it. I didn't say anything. I say, you don't look like a pastor. You don't sound like a pastor. You don't dress like a pastor. And to my rescue, here comes the teacher, and he says, well, not all Christians are weird. <laughs> Is that encouragement? I don't know. Thank you, Shondell. Shout out. So, so we get it, aside from the, like, you know, amazing faster pastor, and don't you want to turn your headlight on, pastor, and you need to see the light, like the jokes for the next 10 hours. I show up the next day, and I've been praying that night. I said I got to make friendships with some of these guys over the 10 hours that we were together, and um, like some stuff was happening, and so I just prayed that night. I said, God, would you finish what you started? I said, I think that there is something to be shared with these men. I stumble into class the next morning, 7 a.m. up at Flatirons Mall. I don't even know how I got there. I was exhausted. Here comes Mr. Inquisition again with the questions, and he said, all right, all right, all right. Have you always been like super religious? And I'm like, oh man. Okay, well, I haven't had a coffee yet, but here we go. So I launch in, we straight up had church at Colorado Motorcycle Academy. I start sharing, I don't do this, I promise. But I start sharing my testimony. I start sharing the gospel of Jesus. I start telling him everything that God had done in my life, how I was dead, now I'm alive, how my perspective has changed, how I love people like I never thought possible, how there's so much more passion in my heart than I ever knew I could attain. And he changed everything, and I think it's available to everyone. I think religion is kind of misdiagnosed at this point. I think that there's a relational God that you could step into a relationship with right now, bro, if you want. Or we could just like hop on the bikes. Later that day, the teacher pulls me aside. I was crushing it, by the way. Come a long way. And uh, he pulls me aside and said, my wife and I have been praying that God would do something with this program in this class. We have been asking Jesus to remind us why we got started in the first place. We have been saying, God, could we have some encounters in this room of people riding motorcycles? And I said, you're welcome. I'm here to your, to your service. As amazing as it possible that we have forgotten the gift? Is it possible that I went to the corners of the earth, Broomfield, Colorado, to tell some people Jesus? Is it possible that everything in that moment lined up, some guys that were looking for some fulfillment and some joy they hadn't found anywhere else and were trying out motorcycles, a two-wheel toy, stepped into something and realized that there was something more? 
Is it possible that Shondell realigned himself with his God-given purpose, which is not to teach anybody how to ride motorcycles, but it's to use it as an avenue to extend the gospel to people that need it? Have we forgotten the gift? Have we forgotten where Jesus found us? John chapter 4, I set it up for us before, but it starts out, it said, Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Just passing through. Just pa Let's not forget that Jesus did not have to do anything. For one, he did not have to come down. He did not have to die on a cross. He did not have to pay the price for our sins. He definitely did not have to go on a hike through Samaria. God, awful hikes. He could have summoned a jetpack from heaven. He knows a guy. And he could have, pew, Galilee for coffee. He had to pass through Samaria, this would have been cultural suicide. This would have been religious suicide. But he submits to humanness. He walks through Samaria because he understood that the detour that all the other Jews took around Samaria, if he takes the detour, it would have been detrimental to the destiny of some desperate people. And so he had to pass through. Had to is more of an urgency of his soul. Had to is more of, of an intentionality. It's no accident that Jesus emptied himself on this walk to find a woman in her emptiness sitting at the well. Do you remember the good gift? Do you remember how far the extent that Jesus went to encounter you, to change your heart, to change your life, to open your eyes and to offer you something that you never had before, have we forgotten the gift? Aren't you glad Jesus didn't detour around your story? Aren't you glad he didn't detour around your journey? Who are we detouring around, church? Who are we bypassing? I wonder if we remembered the gift, if we would continue to bypass desperate people. Wearied as he was, he was sitting beside the well. He's sitting beside the well. He, he's tired. It says it was about the sixth hour. Okay, like noon. I'm picturing like 12, 17. Okay, Jesus, he rolls up. He's sitting there. He's waiting because he knows that somebody is coming. Culturally, nobody goes to the well at midday. People come to the well early in the day. If you've heard the story, you've heard this preached over and over again. Nobody's going to the well. Nobody's going by themselves. Nobody wants to be out at that time of day. It's hot. Jesus knows that there is somebody, he knows that there is one Samaritan woman that has chosen to go. She is not late. She did not miss her Uber ride to the well. She was not sleeping in. She has chosen to align her life differently because she has been so outcasted by society. Cultural context would tell us that she is at the well by herself by choice because she had been ostracized from the rest of her community. And we find out later that this was probably because she had had five husbands previously and was with one just bad news knucklehead now. And so that there's all these guys. And so we don't know if it was adultery that she was caught in. We don't know if she'd been rejected by five different husbands and this other one was going to leave her at the curb too. We don't know if her husbands had died and she'd been widowed. Whatever it was, she's on an island by herself. And Jesus breaks every cultural barrier. He tears down every wall so that he can meet with her. Yeah. He can meet 
with her. Three things, three things the good gift gives us. Number one, the good gift waits at the well. The good gift waits at the well. I always think it's a coincidence. They just like bump into each other. It's like, oh, you're here at the well. Yeah, I was coming from Judea. And passing through, just passing through. No, he's waiting. Sometimes I think as Christians, we, even if we're saved, we think we must go looking. We think we must go reaching to these far places. We think we need a nine-day silent retreat out in the middle of God only knows where to encounter Jesus. Could I remind you in the monotony, in the mundane, in your routine, Jesus is probably waiting right there to meet with you. He's waiting at the well in the very place that marks her insecurity, her loneliness, her depravity, Jesus is waiting. He looks at her. I see her rolling up, head down. She's like, yo, give me a drink. I'm thirsty. And then I, I think she's a millennial because I see her getting annoyed or like offended by this. And she said, what? What did you just say to me? You have no business. You have no dealing with Samaritan. Like, why are you bothering me? For a drink, he's just making the introduction. I think sometimes he surprises us. He calls something out. He confronts us in a way. He collides with her loneliness in this moment to realize that maybe she is in for a different story than the day before. And he said, I don't need a drink. He said, if you knew, though, the gift of God, this is verse 10, if you knew the gift of God, you would have asked me for a drink. He knows that she has nothing to offer let this free you up. We don't have a whole lot to offer the creator of heaven except for our lives laid down and submitted to him. That's the best that we've got. Have you forgotten the gift? I love it. It says it was at Jacob's well, okay? So Jacob was like the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. He becomes Israel. He splits them up into 12 different tribes. And he, she said like, for generation after generation, all the tribes of Israel have come to this well. Generation after generation, they have been left thirsty. Generation after generation, they have come every single day out of their routine. The same thing, the same way they've left unfulfilled. And Jesus uses this moment as a picture to say, you know how everyone comes to this well for what they need? Could I offer an alternative called eternal life? Could I offer you something that doesn't run dry? Could I offer you something that doesn't run out? Have we forgotten the gift? I don't know what your situation is, what your family is, what your generational hangups are in your family, but I wonder if we remembered the good gift, we would remember that we don't have to keep going back to the same problem, the same addiction, the same relationship, the same pattern over and over and over to find fulfillment to be quenched, to be fulfilled in life. Jesus is saying to her, I have something that lasts, that doesn't dry out, something to supply your need. Number two, number one, the good gift waits at the well. Number two, the good gift confronts, quenches, and cures. I remember being a kid, I'd be so thirsty, much like I am now. <laughs> And I would just be playing at the park, and they would hit me. I'm like, I'm thirsty. And I would just be dreaming about the, the trot home and chugging like six to 30 bottles of cool blue Gatorade, the only flavor that matters, and just 936 grams of sugar later being satisfied. <laughs> well, what happened is I pull up 
have a half a half a bottle and just be quenched? Isn't drinking something the simplest act that we could do in just a moment we are fulfilled, in just a moment we are satisfied, in just a moment our thirst is quenched? Jesus is saying this could be your moment. Have we forgotten the gift? Verse 13, he said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. She's like, this is amazing. This is great. I don't quite understand, but never again thirst. That's, I'm in. She's like, if I don't have to haul this bucket back to this well day in and day out, like, great. She was looking for a cure to some symptoms, and Jesus is saying, no, 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 I have a cure for your soul. He's saying, this is something different. He's saying, what I'm offering you is a chance to have your life completely and radically shifted. If you knew the gift, you would accept this eternal living water. Verse 15, she says, give me this water. I don't want to be thirsty. I want that. Perhaps her view was a little bit too small of the gift that Jesus was really offering. Is our view of the gift so small sometimes that we overlook it? He's going to provide in a moment. And he's saying, no, 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 I'm going to provide for eternity. But I've got some things along the way. I've got some process along the way. I've got some dreams for you along the way. With her interaction with him, it starts to click. See, she kind of receives it. And then he starts to send her out and go. And he tells her that he knows about these husbands and these other guys. And, and she, her mind is just blown. Like, I see her wheels start to turn. And it clicks. And she's like, wait a minute. So what is this? And she goes through the generations of worship that they've been accustomed to. And then her, her heart starts to, like, change. And she says, I know that Messiah is coming. She says, you're talking like you know a lot about this whole spirit and truth exercise. I know that Messiah, the Savior, is coming. Samaritans were not traditionally religious people. That was what separated them. That is what kept them at arm's length from the rest of the Jewish population. They were a mixed breed. There was so much racial tension. And she says, I know that Messiah is coming. She was not a church person. I wonder how many non-church people are in our lives. That they have this expectation. They're saying, I sure wish hope would walk through the door today. I pray that something in my life would shift today. I'm hopeful that there's something else, that there's eternity out there. I'm praying that God would do something. Maybe a Christian could show up and share the gospel with me. How many non-church people do we walk past, do we detour around, and they're just waiting for an invitation to encounter heaven? I wonder who's in your life right now that knows that Messiah is coming, that's more desperate than they will admit. The third thing that the good gift gives, the good gift mobilizes your mission. Mobilizes your mission. Right from that point, there's this this visual. She leaves her water jar. The very thing that she kept coming back for, the marker of the thing, she said, okay, I have enough to carry for today. Okay, I gotta go back tomorrow. It's modeling her pattern of life. She leaves it behind and she steps into society. She goes back to the people that had outcasted her from the very place that reminded her of her loneliness and her isolation and her separation. She leaves 
her water jar. I wonder what we're carrying that we're committed to, to filling up a bank account, a relationship status, a, a social media platform, whatever it is. What have you been carrying that needs to be left behind at the well? This woman proceeds. She goes out and she starts to reach people for heaven. It says this. It says, verse 29, she says, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ. She used to come here for a different purpose. She used to come to the well for something else. And she said, actually, maybe this should be a place of worship. Maybe we should come and find some other people here. And I could bring people to this guy, Jesus. I wonder if our well sometimes has gotten in the way of our ability to reach people. I wonder if we've come to church sometimes. We've heard a good word. And then we wait to come get filled up seven days later to be recharged and he says no living water is on the inside living water flows through you she goes out what does she have does she have a seven-day creation theology does she have four-point calvinist views and she's busy reconciling the fist so that she could be all in on where she stands in life does she have the ability to articulate a stance on sexual identity or no 32 scriptures that align with her political view no she has a story and she knows that he, she, she comes to these people and she says, he told me all I ever did. She said, that's all I got. People believe because of her testimony, all I ever did. I do not want to get so far removed from the all I ever did that I forget about the gift. Good. Good. I met a guy at this God Behind Bars event. His name was Ray. I don't even know if I'm allowed to talk about it. Ray, I hope we're in Sterling Correctional Facility someday so you can watch this. But, but I, it, it shook me. Ray had been in prison multiple times before. He kept committing to this life of crime and he, he was in and out and he was, he was dealing and he was into violence and so many times he would go right back to it, right back to that well. He said, I felt like a king when I was out of here. I walked around and all of a sudden I get convicted for a long time and end up behind bars. And he said, five years into my isolation, Jesus got a hold of my heart. 10 years have gone by since then and Ray has been serving on the chaplain team in the prison behind bars. He said, I refuse to forget the all that I ever did. The thing that landed me, he said, no, 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 I'm going to turn that well, that reminder of the all I ever did into a place of worship. And he said, you know, the best part is when new guys are reading the word for the first time and light bulbs are coming on and their hearts are changing. He said, then I remember it as if for the first time and God changes me all over again. He has done 10 years of ministry in a prison. The woman goes out and she starts to bring people back in to Jesus, the same people that had kept her at an arm's length. Many Samaritans of that town believed, and while they're gone, Jesus is talking with his disciples as they're seeing crowds of people moving into the area, coming to the well that marked her moment and he says, you do not think that harvest is for a while. 
using farm terminology that they would have understood. He said, lift up your eyes. The fields are white for harvest. I can't help but believe that Littleton, Colorado, I can't help but believe that Denver, that God behind bars, that our city, that humanity is white for harvest. What are we waiting for, church? There are so many people that need this gift. Have we forgotten? Have we forgotten where Jesus first encountered us? I pray that God would stir something up in our hearts. I pray that he would do something in this moment. John chapter 7, it said, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart flows rivers of living water. People don't need a well to come to. They don't need a church service, although we've got nine of them on Easter. They need some Christians that are radically transformed by the grace of God that have the power of His Spirit flowing through them, bringing them what they need in the time they need it. Church, could we be so impacted that we would not leave this place the same? Could our well become a place of worship? He finishes with this. For we have heard, he said, we used to believe because of our testimony but verse 42 they said to her it is no longer because of what you said that we believe for we have heard for ourselves and we know that indeed this is the savior of the world the good gift waits at the well the good gift confronts quenches and cures the pain in the heart it confirms that God is risen, that Jesus is alive, that he wants to shift something in humanity. The good gift mobilizes us on mission. Can we stand to our feet, church? I, I want to pray something bold over us. Because, see, I've learned this thing, and, and this is free. I usually charge $9.99 for it. It's this exercise that I've been doing since that moment at motorcycle school. Okay, I wake up in the morning and I stand. Make sure your feet are shoulder width precisely. Yeah, this matters. A little bend in the knees. And I say, Jesus, open my eyes. Jesus, would you open my heart? Jesus, would you do something in my life? Jesus, help me to wake up because I am detouring around people every single day. God, will we be a people that are impacted by your word, not to have some fancy church service and play church games. God, but because people are desperate, would we remember the well that we sat at with you when we received the good gift of salvation? Jesus, I pray that if you're stirring any hearts right now to someone that has not received the good gift, God, that you would encounter them, that you would meet them, that you would change something about their heart. In fact, church, let's do this. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, I just can't give a message about a good gift and there's some people that have never received it. That's the thing about a gift is you have to choose to receive it. You can leave it wrapped under the tree all day long, but some of you, Jesus is extending his gift of grace. The God of heaven came down, the Son of Man in flesh, and he lived a perfect sinless life. And he said, whoever would believe in me will not perish but have everlasting life. He says, all you have to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. 
tonight, God raised him from the dead. If you have not stepped into this gift and this is your moment, you have visited the well long enough and there's no satisfaction there for you, your options have run out and you're wondering if this unquenchable thirst will ever end, I'm telling you, there is no more striving right now. Jesus can meet you. If you'd like to ask Jesus into your heart, I'm gonna invite you to raise your hand right now. Just start slipping it up. If God spoke to you, amen, amen, amen. You can put them down. Jesus, we're so thankful for your gift of salvation. God, I pray that we could come alongside of new believers. God, I pray that we could come alongside of humanity, your city, your people, that we could encourage them, that we could uplift them, that we could pour life into them, that we could tell them that you are accessible, that the thirst stops here. I thank you so much for sending your son to die on my behalf. I thank you for meeting me in my weakest at that well, Jesus, and you changed everything about my story. God, I'm so grateful for my testimony. God, would every testimony in here be used in a powerful and mighty way in Jesus name amen amen church we're gonna sing one more song it's called as you find me it's new but I wonder what it would look like how God could speak to our heart if we just thought back to the moment when Jesus found us when he did something in our lives and he accepted us the way we were and that we decided that we were in and that we were his let's sing